They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. No, let me do my intro and we will talk about fucking Warhammer. Warhammer, yeah. Fuck yeah, kid. All right. Oh, it begins. <laughs> it, it begins. I've had some bourbon. Ah. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I'm your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I get into my returning special guests, who we might as well not consider guests, they are just co-hosts in some weird sort of alternate reality version of this show, I would like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. You are Aaron Moriarty, Andrew Krause, Seth Comfort, collaborating online, Seth Decker, Shaw Hansen, Gustad, Robert V. Aldrich, Mike the Gatherer, Kevin C.V., Alex Peregrine, Alex Shaw, Geeks with Shield, Green Goblin, Patricia Chipman, Brendan Agnew, Christopher Finnick, and GD. I don't know if that's God or Goddamn or Geronimo Delta. I don't, I don't know, but thank you. You guys are all awesome. It's my new one of my newest patrons. And um, to my newest patron, Jeremy Soltis, one of my great friends from the Blockbuster days. Dude, thank you so, so much for the support. And it was also great to see you recently. Um, after a year of pandemic, Jeremy literally lives two or three streets away from me. And I haven't seen the guy in 15 months. So it was awesome that he showed up for a party. Anywho, um, this show, particularly this episode, is brought to you by many things. But most recently... All of my shows are brought to you by the Fireside Alliance. The Fireside Alliance is something I started with Alex Shaw of School of Movies. It is an inclusive content creator and fan sharing Discord website, insane networking thing for podcast creators and everybody else. Um, it's awesome. Get on over there to FiresideAlliance.com. And my guests today are really, really good friends of this show and members of the Alliance. Geeks with Shields, introduce yourselves, Shield Brothers. Hey, I'm Axel Wright, and normally I let Lord Commander Ulrich go before me, but I was excited, and I jumped the gun. So, <laughs> Ulrich, I'm sorry. dead there's, air. No, there, there's, there was a bunch of jokes, like, no, I won't make those on the air. <laughs> Point is, we are frequent collaborators with Chris, who's easily one of, uh, who's our shield brother. We established this a while back, so we're always glad to come on his shows, as we are as glad to have him on our shows. It, is so it has been a while. What the hell, man? Well, well since we were on cold. I would well, like for to anyone say... listening, little little peek behind the curtain. We did a thing, and then we completely lost the audio for it. <laughs> that was like six months ago. Yeah, but it, still, it, it would have been. Well, it wasn't that long ago. To be but, fair, yeah. I've been on your show like four times since then. Exactly. This is not reciprocal. <laughs> Making us uh, do all the work. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I do remember a very, very, very enthusiastic um, Ulrich going, whoa, 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 the people really, really like the MCU Smackdown. Let's record that instead of the Warhammer <laughs> stuff because I'm angry because we lost an episode. I do remember that. I don't remember that at all. So, <laughs> And I still want to <laughs> do... And I still want to do a hopped ones with you at some point. Just oh, we got to do that. We'll do it with so. whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. Something like that. Yeah. Get, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a very bad, expensive. I'll get what I now call bad boys Two wasted. Anyway. Oh, oh bad boys Two wasted. <laughs> Axel is my favorite wasted. Axel. <laughs> I'm really, um, anyway, no, no, let's stay around. So yeah, we <laughs> lost the fucking Necrons episode, dude guy, but we're going to record that again soon. And that will make more sense when you listen to it because it was wonderful. So, it, it was wonderful. Was um, but today, because well, we, we get brought on to the show to talk with Chris about Warhammer because we have been his 
and his spirit guides on the journey to oh God, to, no. to Warhammer <laughs> <laughs> in some ways. And we've been going through all the playable factions. Now, there are some sub-factions we haven't gone over yet, things like uh, the Inquisition or various specific Space Marine chapters, but not counting the Necrons, which, as we said, we lost. We only have one major playable faction left to cover, and then we'll have basically done... Everything that is the, well, the high level. Then from then on, it becomes more kind of detailed conversation. But today, we're here to talk with Chris about the Tau. So speaking about my Boston fucking accent for a minute, the Tau, right? I went out to Amherst the other day, kid, and I got fucking tore up at a frat with those Greek numbers and shit. Is that what we're talking about here, kid? (laughs) (laughs) That depends. Did you all work? Did you all drink towards the greater good? I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure there were some folks there like that. It's a pretty liberal college. <laughs> little, little college. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> okay, we're going to stop there now. <laughs> so so at this point, since we've been talking, I do this now. If you remember, I do this at the beginning of everything. Uh, I don't know what off comments we've made about the Tau in the past. So before I get into our overview, what do you know about them or think you know about them or just remember about them or if anything? I, I actually don't. I don't recall them being brought up. And again, maybe this could be the six month gap. I mean, we have had kind of a year, right? But um, just judging from this photo, remember we've done this before um, where Chris looks at a few photos. I haven't read on, but judging from this photo, I get kind of like a, um, a more modern. Were, were these guys all like deep in the lore for a bit or are they more of like a no. recent addition? Actually, you're, you're touching on the first important thing about them. They are both from an outside like real world perspective and an in lore perspective, the like new one of the newest armies, like, cause they're very, um, I want to say this without offending anybody. Uh, I don't, they're very, all of the Warhammer. Remember I told you the beginning, I, I thought Warhammer was a fantasy thing and didn't know it was a sci-fi space thing when I first heard about it. And then when I watched my friends play it, it's like, okay, it's a war thing. How does that fit in? And I've learned so much more and they're separate things and all that. This I get like Xbox and Tanau influences on it. Like it's got a Halo kind of thing, a Dead Space kind of thing. See, you're, you're already touching, you're, not wrong. you're touching on some very important things there. So let's do a quick overview. The Tau, as I said, are one of the newest races within the universe of 40K, whereas basically every other race has been around for tens upon tens of thousands of years in one form or another. The Tau are less than 10,000 years old. We'll get into the specifics of that here in a bit, but in the community, they are commonly referred to as space communists and weebs, and we'll discuss why. Oh, goodness. Well, the answer is simple, because the community... He's been telling the same jokes for the last 10 years. Now, you made a comment about Halo, and it's really funny because if there's any well-known fictional race that the Tau most resemble, it's Halo's Covenant. In fact, they resemble them to the point that I would not be surprised at all if the Covenant were inspired by the Tau. I don't know the exact timeline, but I know the Tau— I'll flip that. I think Covenant predates Tau. Well, I know the Tau were being constructed in 1990. I just checked that just a second ago. And Halo Combat Evolved Mm. was 2001. 2002 interesting because i don't think tau come out till i'm pretty sure they i'm pretty sure the tau 2005 i'm pretty sure the first tau codex predates halo so. well you could I imagine right. though I'm, I'm talking since 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 i haven't heard the background you know i'm going just on the whoever created the art this particular first art image right this is ripped straight from you know 
some kid coloring in their notebook who's really into Halo, right? That, yeah, that's, so that's what this is. Not that it's a bad quick. piece of art. It's great. So, but. Yeah, yeah. So sorry if you can hear my clicking. I'm just doing a quick, uh, a quick check. Tau Codex, the first Tau Codex, was released in the third edition of Warhammer. It was released which, 2001. 2001, okay. And Halo Combat Evolved, let's see. Halo Combat Evolved. 99. Um, oh, 2001, nine, November 15th, 2001. So they, there's easily some cross sharing of notes. It's probably closer here. to how the Space Marines and the Brotherhood of Steel and Fallout are extremely similar, but they came out like the same time. It's probably just like, you know, ideas are getting spread across people from different companies. So they're really, they're probably being developed at the well, same time. Well, let's be like. honest. The big unified alien race is not that original of an idea. Yes, but the details we'll get into with the Tau are eerily similar to the Covenant. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. Anyway, so the Tau as a race generally have their aesthetics are ripped more from Eastern cultures, primarily China and Japan. So that, that marks them as being very visually distinct from a lot of what's going on in Warhammer 40K. They operate in a caste system, which means that they uh, have multiple races within their empire basically the only faction like that including humans there are humans within the Tau, and i think the best way to get someone excited about it would be to say that this is the faction that is in my opinion described as gundams and dinosaurs yeah i, I love that that's in all caps and as exclamation points because that's how i read it yeah exactly. no so now, we'll, have to, we'll get into that one yeah i could literally go on like a big lecture but i think I'll, I'll for the time being i'll pass this over to Ulrich so we can give an introduction and i'll just i'll just pop in and correct where i need to <laughs> so i think first we'll just start with the out of universe fun facts little bearings to get the how are technically putting big quotation marks around this the last new race introduced to the setting and when they were introduced, it caused a bit of a scuttlebutt because they were too, they, they were kind of introduced as a good race. Like they didn't really have, they weren't skull raping anybody like everyone else was. Fun fact, mm. according to some you know, basic research I did, Graham McNeil himself was instrumental in developing the character of the Tau as a faction. Interesting. So. I'll have to talk oh, about that next time we well, talk with Graham you. McNeil, another great friend of both our podcasts. That guy is amazing. Yeah, and he was a big part of the development of the Tau. Interesting. So, yeah, there were that. And then the other big complaint from people at the time was, well, their aesthetic didn't fit the universe, which I always thought was the stupidest thing because 40K is anything but homogenous. And I think the idea that it should be is just dumb. I mean, externally, the reason why they look so different, it was a conscious choice on Games Workshop. Apparently, they wanted to make a faction that, because they knew that there were people who were war gamers who weren't interested in the, essentially, the gothic fantasy kind of thing that the rest of Warhammer is. So they wanted to create a faction that was very different to appeal to those people. So the tower created out of that initial idea. Yeah, and the Tau, I think that's a big something. They're very visually striking in a universe that is so Imperium-heavy in design choice. I mean, say what you will, Chaos still dips from the same cup the rest 
rest of the Imperium does. They're getting a bit better. Anyways, that's the behind the scenes. So they were kind of unpopular for a bit. And then they dominated for a couple editions on the tabletop. And that did them no favors. To do a quick little summary on the tabletop, Tau are terrible in melee and tend to be the best at shooting, although currently they are way outstripped by Admech, but that's another conversation entirely. So so for a while in the game, it became a, we are going to shoot your models off the table before your models can even reach our models. And it yep. made people like Ulrich have aneurysms. So it's Ridiculous. It was, they, were, they were not fun to play. So they gained a bad notoriety. So that's all the out-of-universe stuff you kind of need to know. Now we can get into the fun in-universe stuff. So basically, remember how I said that they are less than 10,000 years old? Well, in the 34th millennium, or 35th millennium, it's one of the two, 35th, I think, there there was an Imperial expedition ship that was traveling, just looking for new planets, essentially. And it came across this planet, and it went and looked at the planet, and on it there was a species of uh, blue humanoids that their technology was that of human cavemen. So think like, you know, seven to ten thousand BCE, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like they barely have fire. That's it. Now, imperial protocol would dictate that. All right, murder all of the the sentient beings capture this planet, turn it into imperial resource, essentially. But a warp storm happened and cut off the ship from the the planet. And it was not that big a deal. They just, because the Imperium has a lot of other things to worry about. So they made a note. They sent the note to, you know, Holy Terra's various bureaucracy. And that note got filed away somewhere that, hey, when the warp storm's clear, go this planet the the species there is so underdeveloped that by the time the warp storms clear they'll still be it's not gonna be a problem real quick though have we talked about warp storms at all yes okay yes. good i wanted to make sure we weren't dropping very... a term on you that no no wasn't... no. it didn't we haven't gone deep into them but you've talked about them okay yeah point is is basically imagine like a thunderstorm in space that keeps you from going somewhere <laughs> made right. out of sight nightmare fuel anyway Cut to roughly 6,000 years later, a little bit less, but we get into like the 40th millennium. So like just before the setting of the 41st millennium, the warp storm's clear and the Imperium encounters a ship of unknown design. And because it's, you know, an Imperium cruiser, they destroy the ship without, you know, because it's an alien ship and this is how the Imperium functions. But behind that ship and unbeknownst to them, the Tau Empire existed. And in that 6,000 years span, the Tau Empire had grown from the cavemen to having technology rivaling and in some cases surpassing that of the Imperium. They were still on whole a small empire only existing on the fringes of known space. And they don't have the same level of warp travel that humans do which is there's a reason for that later but as far as like actual tech suits and weapon technology and and things like that they have far gone beyond what the imperium is currently using wow so that was the first sign of something dangerous though the fact that the tau advanced more in six thousand years than humans had in ten jesus 
the Tau have shown themselves since then to be the most quickly advancing race in the galaxy. Every other race, and I do mean in this case every other race, is in some way stagnant. The the Eldar have basically been using the same tech for 60 million years. The humans have been using the same tech for 10,000 years. The Necrons haven't changed their tech in 60 million years. Orcs don't make new tech. The Tau are the only faction that we know of that are like actually actively making on a wide scale new technology. Because there are some individuals in the Imperium, like Belisarius Call does new things. And in Chaos, we got people like Fabius Bile does new things. But the Tau as a culture are constantly advancing and developing new technology. And that is what makes them the most dangerous. Because with the size of their empire... Any other faction, if they focused on the Tau, could destroy them easily. But because everyone else in the galaxy is fighting everyone else, the Tau are kind of left alone, and they just keep getting higher tech and higher tech. Growing little by little. Now, they've got a real great system of slow expansion, which we'll kind of touch on later, which is brilliant. Another fun fact about the Tau that kind of sets them apart is, as a race, they don't have sight. And they don't really have a war presence, which is its own weird thing in the universe because of, well, how war presence is defined. I mean, the argument is that it's a soul, but the Tau have a very small soul. And why is that? And but that information that 40K hasn't really gotten into. Yeah, sorry to real quick interrupt you there, but the idea that the Tau have weak souls is only espoused by Inquisitors who are Imperium agents who are <laughs> not trustable sources. Well, but, it's the in-universe given reason. Yeah, but we do know that, at least within universe, demons see humans as like a fiery entity. Their Their presence in the warp and their psychic presence is very powerful. Whereas Tau are seen as wispy, smoke-like entities because of that. So demons don't care about Tau. Tau have no psychers, and they Tau have no, little to no experience with chaos because chaos doesn't care about them. Yeah. No, we know that they do have souls. Otherwise, they'd be a pariah, which is something fun we'll get to later. So, anyway. yeah, they don't, don't really... That, that's the kind of, again, sets them apart, is they don't have any of the chaos warp shenanigans but it also means they can't use warp travel so they've got this cool kind of technology where they just kind of skip along the top well that's that's actually there's a thing about that that is <laughs> sorry i double checked this because i saw that ulrich had written this and right now in the lore the tau have three different methods for travel which are all so one of them is the one he just described where they basically skip along the edge of the warp without actually going into the warp and, and they don't actually travel faster than light. One. Yeah. They travel near the speed of light. So it's still very slow compared to what all the other races are doing. They've got another tech where they can actually dive into the warp, but only for short dips essentially. So faster than the other tech, but more dangerous because they don't have essentially stuff to protect them from demons because but demons don't care about them so at the same time it's not that dangerous it's, it's complicated but anyway and then the third yeah. tech they have i still think if you kick down the door to the warp whether they like you or not they're going to notice if you're there because they're not well they're semi-invisible so i guess i'm really curious when he's write a story about the tau getting oh wait someone did write a story about the tau getting lost in the warp 
Yeah. Well, the problem is <laughs> the problem is because Tau have multiple races. The humans in Tau ships do attract demons. So we'll circle yeah, back is... to that. That's a fun bit of lore. But that's a really interesting um, distinction, right? Like you keep touching back on it is the that it's made up of you know ragtag group of different types, and that well, that really ragtag does... is not the right word. The oh yeah, sorry, has... a melting pot. Like there you, you know go. what I mean? Yeah, and it it really sets it apart because everything we've talked about so far is usually like physical build, look, color of skin, all same. You know, so this being like a, you know, it can be a, a Xenos or it can be a human or it can be, you know, this is fascinating to me. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, hold on to I'll that touch point. on that in a sec. The last tech they have for fashion light travel is a slipstream drive of a sort where they can, like other fantasy, um, basically like compress space. But the one time they tried to use it because they had successful experiments, then their leaders were like, yes, this is amazing. Activate all of them at once. And it created such a shock to space-time in the area that it actually seemingly destroyed a large amount of Tau ships. In reality, it created a essentially a giant wormhole in space that the ships all went through. And then now they're scattered throughout the galaxy, which was really just Games Workshop way of being like, hey, here's how Tau can be on the other side of the galaxy, even though they don't have very fast travel. But... So they don't really use that tech because that tech's really, they don't really understand it. But anyway, but to touch on what you were just talking about. So there is a primary Tau race that we were mostly referring to when we call the Tau. They are blue skinned. They uh, don't have hair to my knowledge. They are slightly smaller and physically a little weaker than human beings. And they come from that, that planet where I, you know, I mentioned earlier with the blue cavemen, but while they are the primary race, there the other there are three other quote unquote primary races in the Tau. One is humans. One is Crute, which are kind of like dinosaur people. Ooh, which there'll be a picture of farther down. And there's a Vespid, which are kind of like insect people. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, so. What's important about this, though, is that the Tau, I mentioned before, they function in a caste system. So those the, the blue Tau, they are the top of the caste system. So when Ulrich mentioned that when the Tau first came out, they were very, like, they were kind of, for lack of a better term, the good guys. And they were, there was very paragon of them, I guess. They were, they believe as a species in a concept called the greater good. They're not... You know, religious zealots like the Imperium or, you know, uh, arrogant fallen rulers of the galaxy like Necrons or Eldar. They theoretically believed in doing what is best for the galaxy as a whole. But as Ulrich also said, the community was like, that makes them seem like we can deal with them looking like like Gundams and looking like Eastern and stuff and not looking gothic. We can't deal with them being actual good guys. <laughs> Nope, can't have that. No one can be positive. And I get it. I mean, they've kind of gone and retconned that. And we'll get into that. That's a bit further down. Um, yeah, I'm of two minds. I kind of like that there's one race that has hope in the galaxy and a sea of everyone else's nihilism. But I also get why they retconned and I'm like, all right, you guys want some darkness? We'll, we'll, we'll add some darkness. Yeah, and, and the Tau are... I actually really like where they sit now in the lore. 
So anyway, so when we talk about the history, right, Tau in that 6,000 year span, they went up very much similar to human evolution for a long time, actually. And they got to a point where they were, what do you think was the tech at the time of Fioton? Like the tech is said to be early gunpowder. Early gunpowder. Okay, so let's yeah. say they get they get up to early gunpowder era, and they're still again moving about the same speed as as human evolution did, and they're behaving very similar to humans, except they have generally more subdued emotions. This comes along with the smaller presence in the warp thing, but they're just kind of like got a little bit of a Vulcan thing going. There's also a lot of Star Trek in the Tau, for the record. Anyway. And there was this great, I was going to read the whole story, but I don't know how fun that would be, so I'll just kind of touch on it. There was this uh, this story that's told within the Tau that there was this plateau, this mountain plateau called Fioton, where a two groups of Tau were fighting for years. One that lived in the plains and one that lived in the city, in the city of you know, great walls. And the plains Tau were laying siege to this, this city of, in Fioton for, for years. And no peace could be brokered between them and no one even knew why really they were fighting anymore it's just they were <laughs> possibly for resources who knows but then one day seemingly well first of all there was like a couple of weeks leading up to this day where there were supposedly things happening in the sky that were seen as omens omens of change and then one day an entity appeared a person well a tau person two of them actually one appeared to the the plains Tau and want to snuck into the city. How we got past the the walls, we don't know. But point is, with both of these beings, they approached the guards and told the guards separately that they must speak to their leaders. And the guards found themselves unable to turn them away. They felt compelled to listen to what these beings had to say. Mm. So these beings got, went to the individual leaders and told them that they would that they should come out the next day to have a peace meeting brokered by this these entities and again just like with the guards these leaders found themselves compelled to follow the compelled to follow the recommendations of these strange beings so the next day the two beings with the leaders of the two groups came out and met in the plains and the the beings are were identical basically they looked almost the same like twins essentially and they started talking about how you know the fighting had gone on so long but both these peoples had different skills that could serve different purposes and how they could be much stronger if they worked together and how their strengths could supplement each other's weaknesses and how if they worked together they could accomplish a far greater good than what either of them could accomplish individually and in one day these two entities had brokered a a peace, a full on peace treaty between these two beings, and then they re they revealed that they were called ethereals, and from that day forward, more ethereals started appearing in different places on the Tau planet, and everywhere the ethereals went, the the Tau that met them felt this this strange compulsion to to listen to their words, and it wasn't long before the entire Tau planet was united. The last group that united were the the fire warriors which were essentially different kind of planes warriors but point is the ethereals this group of specific tau united the entire planet in a very short amount of time and from that point forward 
Tau evolution diverges heavily from human as their growth starts ex- accelerating immensely because they don't have war. They don't have interpersonal conflict. They, All of the Tau on the planet are working together under this ethereal caste who then also decide, okay, we're going to have all these other casts. you got the fire cast for warriors, got the earth cast for engineers, you got the water cast for diplomats, and the air cast for, I don't remember what they do. We'll get, they it's fly. They fly? Okay, fly. Yeah. Well, oh, there we go. Each of these four Tau tribes evolved slightly differently. And like the air cast evolved, they had thinner bones, and they had kind of a gliding membrane so they could handle higher altitudes. So you get... I hate to say this word, you get a really weird eugenics program going after the Ethereals. Like, all right, everyone from the Plains tribe, you only breed with Plains tribes, you only are warriors. Mountain tribe, Ah. you only build stuff. Water tribe, you're only diplomats. Air tribe, you're only pilots. And no intermingling between your casts. Because we want you to breed to be the best role that you can be. So the Ethereals are, are, are the Tau's leaders in every sense of the word. Politically, militarily spiritually and again as i said before they don't really have spiritual beliefs the tau theoretically on paper believe in the greater good the greater good but and i feel like chris you're smart enough to have and i heard a couple like you made a couple reactions where you probably picked up on what i was putting down there is a an implication that has never been fully confirmed but is heavily implied that the ethereals can exert some sort of influence that may not be <laughs> uh honest yeah. on the beings around them that seems very um very key here yeah and it's not been <laughs> confirmed one way or the other what it is but it has been confirmed if you take the ethereals out of the equation tauster acting differently yeah we'll get into more i i skipped over Ulrich's wars of expansion i'm gonna let him talk about that but there is one war of expansion where there was a character a general of the tau named uh farsight who is pretty much the coolest character in the tau and while engaged in combat his ethereal and his platoon's ethereal was killed and once the ethereal was gone, because generally one ethereal travels with a group of Tau, and the Tau will do everything they can to protect that ethereal. He's the most important. So I don't actually know the details of how Farsight's ethereal was killed. Point is, he was. And after he was, uh, Farsight and his men started noticing something. They started having doubts about what they oh, were shit. doing. And, and Farsight himself started having what he called uh, seditious and traitorous thoughts. But he still felt a love and a respect for his people and his empire. So instead of, you know, taking this to anybody, him and his men or his people agreed, we are not going to go back and potentially poison the empire with whatever is affecting us. So we're going to go and make you know, our own little group, which is called the Farside Enclaves, and we're going to function on our own separate from the Tao Empire. So they still love the Tao and the their people. But they function without an ethereal, and that is seen as a threat by the ethereals, who branded them renegades and made a bunch of propaganda to keep any "quote unquote" you know proper Tau from engaging with them. Mm. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, the word that usually has popped up when talking about Tau is Orwellian for a reason. Yeah, that's that's ringing true here. 
All right, so let's circle back to the spheres of expansion, and they're really kind of cool because basically what they are is the ethereal sit down going, we are going to expand to this point, and this will be the empire's growth point. No questions like, all right, we're going to go out and we're going to take this bit. And it's very measured. It's very contained. This is, this is what we think we can take this time. So you get that first sphere, which they kind of conquer their home system, take out some planets, and they encounter two alien races. They encounter the orcs, everyone's, you know, favorite. And, and the yes, they did. They did at first try to incorporate the orcs into Because that's their, their thing. Empire. It's like, hey, do you want to join? And the orcs were like, no, because orcs don't do diplomacy. Also, it, it might go without saying, but... The Tau do have this thing where when they meet a new race, they will start off by being very diplomatic. And they'll be like, hey, this is the greater good. This is what we believe in. We want you to join us. And if you say no and you keep on saying no, eventually they'll be like, well, it's for the greater good that you join us or die. <laughs> yeah, of course. Anyway, continue. So the on. other Xenos race they found fighting the orcs were the crew. And they were like, hey, guys, do you want to you know, join our collective and we'll help you beat off these you know, horrible aliens and like oh yeah sure that sounds great and then they won the war and they're like all right cool but but you're also going to need to sign a couple conditions and waivers and agreements to become part of our society and we'll get more into that when we get into what crude are and how they work the crude do uh, to say this much they kind of function more like mercenaries than anything they don't really... well they are a mercenary race like that's their big thing yeah they don't One ingratiate the contracts... themselves into tau society they're more just there for the military well one of the things was when they signed on with the Tau, one of the big things like, you can't be mercenaries for anybody else. You have to be part of the Tau. And they were like, yeah, sure. Okay, just do it under the table. Gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's the, 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 the crude are interesting. We'll get to the crude. I like the There'll crude. be a picture farther down, but I feel like the crude are the most, how do I put this? The crude really feel like something out of Star Wars to me, more than almost anything else in 40K. <laughs> You're not wrong. So anyways, then we get to the second sphere. Like, all right, we're going to push a little bit further and this is when they kind of the first war with the imperium it becomes known as the damocles gulf and this was their first experience with power armor and they didn't really have an answer for it at first and they were you know losing like all right we need to counter this power armor let's make power armor for ourselves and thus the first crisis suit was born which, yeah, which are, are big stumpy mix. yeah they're they're exosuits they basically think well like small gundams that's yeah the what name. they're doing I love the name so much. Crisis yeah. suit. Well, that was a crisis. They were losing horribly to these big armored monsters. And this goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for a big long time. This is where Commander Farsight kind of rises up because he's using unconventional tactics. He engages the lots of reckless charges, lots of crazy over-the-top stuff. And eventually it ends with the Imperium going, all right, fine, screw you guys, burn the system to the ground. <laughs> As and the tower are like, well, we can't beat fire. So again, that, that's how the Imperium functions. If it's if it's not worth the resources to take a system, well, then we will destroy the system so you can't have it. And they literally burned it down, and they're like, all right, it's burned, but it's ours now. So the tower kind of learned from that, and the, then this is when you get a little bit of collecting. The third sphere invention led to the invasion of the McCrag system, which is where the Ultramarines live. And that was a big, long, because they, they got sneaky about it. They learned that you couldn't confront Space Marines Imperium head on. So they kind of snuck in. They hit a couple planets. And ultimately, this, they almost take 
several key planets. Well, it's important to note, sorry, it's important to note that during the third sphere of expansion, the Eye of Terror had it was like in full swing on the other side of the galaxy. So chaos was pouring out into Imperium space. And so while the Imperium is always besieged on all sides, everyone was especially focused on the Eye of Terror at that point. So the tower, like, we'll just be on the other side of the galaxy taking things. <laughs> but this was still an invasion into like the home system of one of the big space marine chapters. So this wasn't an easy fight, but they had gotten in, they had, you know, hit enough planets, they had won over some things. They end up taking, they end up actually growing, even though they get beat back. And how they get beat back is one of the space marine captains named Uriel Ventress is able to capture an Ethereal and goes, All right, I don't know what this guy is, but I know you want him. So you're going to pack up and get the fuck out, or I'm going to kill him. And oh, they're like, Oh, shit. damn it, he knows our weakness. Yeah, the Tau will do anything for their ethereal. So, but well, as as he said, the, the, the Tau Empire grew overall by thirty percent during this. They still ended up nipping, nipping some stuff around the edges, but like we can't take their home system yet. So then we get to the fourth sphere, and they're like, we need a better system to get from point A to point B, and this is when they get the slipstream system, and. It go well. We talked about how it goes. It it doesn't necessarily go well. Yeah, they create that big wormhole thing I mentioned, which they end mm-hmm. up when they figure out how to stabilize it in the fifth sphere. They call it the Star Tide Nexus. Now, ironically, the Ethereals said there was no fourth sphere expansion. It, oh. it never happened. What are you talking about? They jumped straight to the fifth. They said, nope, there was no, nothing happened. Everything went great. What are you talking about? We don't fail. We only move forward. Which oh, again, we're getting shit. kind of that, yep. that darkness. I, this is like, it goes one, two, three. There was a number, then five. <laughs> don't, ask, don't ask questions unless you want a fire cast warrior to come take you away in the middle of the night. But it never happened. <laughs> so now we're kind of cut kind of they're again they're doing their little thing they're moving out they're expanding uh not much has really changed with them either it's still this kind of threat on the eastern fringe is it's only getting more oh i guess this would be a time to talk about a fun little story from the fourth sphere expansion so there is a short story about a ship that got pulled into the warp during the fourth sphere expansion and then kicked out the other side when something in the warp grabbed them and kind of pushed them out. And the implication is the human converts of the Tau Empire have started, have created a warp god of the greater good. Uh, and that it's again, manifested in the warp it, and saved the human manifest. passengers. And the Tau are not okay with this. Because they are, no, that's not what the greater good is. And they don't like the potential that humanity is creating in their empire to create possible demon incursions. So humans in the tower in an interesting place empire-wise because they need them because we're populous. But they don't necessarily like us because we, well, we create gods. Uh, Yeah, it's it's our favorite thing. Two things about that. One, which is that humans who have ditched the Imperium and joined the Tau Empire are considered the highest level of heretics by the Imperium. Like, people who fall to chaos are bad, but they're at least, you know, manipulated by, like, dark, ruinous powers. Those who leave the Imperium willingly to join the Tau are seen as, like, another level of heretic 
and need to be destroyed. <laughs> and the second thing is that the Ethereals, when they first, or when the Tile Empire first started encountering humanity, and humanity had this ability to travel immense distances by going through the warp, the Ethereals ordered immediate, figure out how to do this because we need this tech. And so they spent, a, the Earthcast spent a long time researching the warp as best they can. And basically they came to a conclusion that it just wasn't feasible for them. And the Ethereals came to this point where they're like, they literally say the warp has no place in the greater good. The warp is for those foolhardy races who have not the ability to with retreat from it. Yeah. Yeah. So the Ethereals hey. are like, fuck the warp. We don't want it. <laughs> just like Can't make little... it work. So it's stupid. It's like that whole number four that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. <laughs> now, now real quick, We've mentioned Tau, Crute, Vespid humans. The list I found on Wikipedia says that there are 18 other sub-races within the Tau, but they are so minor that they don't have models on the tabletop, and they show up very little in the lore. The only one that I think is worth mentioning is the Nikasar, which are actually a race of psychers who don't have a home planet at all. So they're basically, when the Tau do have need of a psyker, they have this particular client race to to do it. So I'd also yeah. talk about the Demiurg because they're kind of theorized that maybe they're the squats. Oh, squats would be 40K's equivalent of dwarves. Gotcha. They disappeared for reasons, but... Uh, like The official lore reason is that the Terranids killed them. <laughs> oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but... But yeah, so no, that's, that's the only other real race worth mentioning... Because, well, we'll get into the problem with the Tau line when we kind of get there. Because there, there is a big problem. Well, this breaks us down. We can get to, at least in our document, some more pictures. Because we've been pretty, like, just word-heavy. But now, Oh, you, it's good, have... though. There we go. Look at this guy. So the Tau side, we've mentioned a couple of things. They're broken down into this rigid cast system. And they're all, you know, avatar element-based. So we've got the fire cast, which are our warriors. Now, generally speaking, your average Tau warrior has what can be best described as futuristic samurai looking armor <laughs> i was gonna say this looks like um you know certain like early to mid 2000 square soft stuff or uh god no even um villains in a metal gear solid game oh another way that i could describe this this is a good point to talk about an elephant in the room which is that so in the 40k universe or the galaxy there is you know, many, many languages, but there's generally two languages that are the shared common languages that all races can speak, which are high Gothic and low Gothic. Orcs are your primarily low Gothics, but, you know, also most of the Imperium speaks low Gothic, whereas the, you know, higher ups in any given faction will tend to speak high Gothic. So think of it as like, you know, common from D&D. Now, that being said, Every time the Tau have appeared in a video game with voice lines, they speak with what can only be described as stereotypical Japanese accents. Oh, no. There's a reason the games exist in their own continuity bubble for the most part. <laughs> well, then so, I see this next picture. Yeah. So I just want to say that I just want to point that out because their design is heavily based on Chinese and Japanese. That armor they're looking at is a combination of samurai armor and Chinese foot soldier uh, yep. design based on what yep. I read. 
So they took that and they took it like a step further, which, you know, 40K has a thing with accents. Orcs have their Cockney accent, but that's English people essentially making fun of their own people. It's less comfortable with the Tau because of that. So anyway, I don't know what my feelings are. I actually, I like having different kinds of accents, but where that goes from homage and variety and diversity into racial stereotyping is not an easy answer for me. And I just want to by and large been shoved over in a corner and they've kind of moved design wise. They've moved more and more away from that because they realize not only what a colossal misfire it is, but that it's very remnant of its time. And that's why, like I said, the games were typically put in their own little canon corner. Like, okay, they exist, but only so much. And they've really kind of gone, no, no, they have their own language. It sounds nothing like this racist stuff. We did this one time. <laughs> they've kind of they've kind of kept the top knots that that has stayed as part of Tau design, but they've really kind of reined it back in and made their own identity. Anyway, but, I just want to get that that out there because you're going to see a lot of yeah, what that, looks that, like <laughs> a Asian aesthetic going forward. So because the community finds a joke and sticks to it for 20 years. Oh yeah. This is why they're called weebs. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, among other reasons, once you see their exosuits, that'll make a lot more sense. Anyway, we have the water cast, which we mentioned are the diplomats and the the merchants. And we have this picture of this meme of one, which I, I can't describe in podcast form. Sorry, listeners. So one of the fun facts about the water cast is they're described to be semi uh shapeshifty they can kind of alter their features to appear more or less alien depending on who they're meeting with and typically they're meeting with people so they try to make themselves look less alien like tower described as having red eyes and slit noses and being very off-putting where the water cast is kind of like no no i'm your friend i don't look i look slightly more human less scary you can totally trust me in my not evil empire Anyway, so we have the the air cast, which are our pilots. I believe physically they are taller, lankier. Very uh, uh, Mass Effect looking. They cannot exist in normal gravity. Oh, cool. Their bodies are so adapted to zero gravity, they can't be in normal gravity. Then we have the, the, the earth cast, which are the builders and the engineers. I mean, there's not much Lots else to say about that. There. That's what they are. Well, this is kind of getting into like the big problem with Tau and with 40K. Like, unless it has to do with the war directly, you don't get a lot of lore about the other goings on. An important thing to note about this too: while all the pictures we're showing are of the primary blue Tau race, technically all sub races can fit into these casts, but they tend to have their own like sub categorization like how the crew are pretty much exclusively a military thing so you'd be like are they fire cast no they're more like clients of the fire cast and humans that are a bit more spread out throughout the tau exist in all of the the non-ethereal casts but they're also like a little bit second class citizens yeah <laughs> the, the whole interesting yeah the whole egalitarian is starting to break down because he's like, well, the Tau are the first, so of course we're the best. And humans, you guys make gods. You got, you can't be like us. I mean, I imagine there are some humans that work in the water cast because that just makes sense. 
but I know for a fact humans will never be allowed to pilot, you know, one of the crisis suits because that's an honor that a fire warrior, which is the basic footline, has to work their way up to. And they just don't trust humans humans within the fire cast. They just have the armor and the guns. They don't get the suits. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's it. So again, separate but equal. Yeah. Anyway. Then we have the ethereals, which we talked about at length, and there is no one else besides the because the ethereals are not just a cast; they're almost like another species. <laughs> yeah, so, one would even wager that they may be another species. <laughs> yeah, there is actually some tau. There are some rumors, though, and there are hypotheses that part of the reason why the tau don't have psychic presence and have things like the ethereals is they may be a partially engineered race. There's mm. nothing really to support that. Some people have said maybe the Necrons messed with them. Maybe it was an old one that <laughs> escaped. I don't know. But point is that there are it's not an it's not a completely off the board idea. Anyway, this, okay. this guy this guy looks like he's in charge. <laughs> he's pointing at yeah. things. That's how you know a person's in charge in Warhammer if they're pointing. All right, that brings us to the Tau military, where we basically just have pictures so you can see what things look yeah. like. Your basic oh, yeah. fire warriors, I like, drones. I like the helmets kind of have like a bug look. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, lots and lots of drones. On the tabletop, drones are your best friend because they keep you from dying. So the army is so, filled with drones. That's something worth talking about. The Imperium views the Tau as especially abhorrent because they use drones, and the Imperium has a hard-on hatred for AI, which they full, refer to full as mech. Yeah. abominable yeah, we might, we intelligence. Might talked, we might have talked a bit about this in our Imperium episode, but back in the in the dark age of technologies, this would be somewhere between the 20th and 30th millennium, the humanity actually engaged in a war with a race called the Men of Iron. Now, the details of this have been largely lost because everything in Warhammer is, you know, bureaucracy is terrible and things are lost. But it is heavily implied that they were full-functioning AI and that humans had created AI and that it created a race of AI and they became the greatest threat to humanity. So humans, or the Imperium, sees AI and anything that's AI-adjacent as absolutely a colossal threat to the galaxy itself. It's why the AdMech, who are all about like tech and stuff, still don't make AI. They just replace their own body parts. If you have a robot, but it's run by a human brain, that's fine. Run by software, not fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a right. weird line. So that's why, again, the tower is especially creepy because they're not only are they filthy Xenos, they're filthy Xenos that trust robots. Those damn robots. Yeah. So some in the Imperium see the Tau the as possibly the biggest threat to the galaxy because if they make fully functioning AI and then that gets unleashed on the galaxy, then it'll be an effect far greater than the rest of their empire could accomplish. You know? So. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, then we got a picture of a Vespid. Which is awesome. I really like the Vespid. That thing is yeah, heads really up. fucking cool. You're never going to see it on the tabletop. Well, they yeah, have models they have, on the tabletop. But they have one of the one. oldest, ugliest models. And no, I do not believe anyone actually owns the models because no one has ever seen the models on the tabletop. Yeah, theoretically, they take up a bigger Same thing part with of the... Towns. Yeah, theoretically, they take up a bigger part of the Tau than they are represented because they have like one model, but they're one of the primary races of the Tau. So I admit, well, I know nothing about unit. the Vespids, really. <laughs> so they're cool. They can close. 
they can cloak and they can fly. So Tau really use them for a lot of ambush assaults. See, Tau really come to rely on the technique of overwhelming assault and catching your enemy off guard. So they will deploy Vespids and stealth suits, which are exactly what they sound like, to, you know, do hit and runs on important targets. And because Vespids can fly, that makes them extra useful. As for their lore, I don't really know a lot about them. I don't know how much lore is actually written about them because, unfortunately, anything that falls under Tau Auxilia is pretty neglected. Yeah. Anyway, next we've got the Crute, which we've mentioned before. We've got a, a Crute Hound, which is like a little little dino dog. A mm-hmm. Crute Warrior, which this is what I mean when I say this feels like something out of Star Wars. Oh, me. yeah. Oh, yeah. And a great Narlac, because it wouldn't be Warhammer without something over the top. And this army brings basically alien T-Rexes to the table. Love it. Okay, so let's talk talk about Crute real quick. Firstly, all three of the things you're seeing are the same species. Oh, shit. (laughs) So, Crute are a cannibalistic society in that whatever they eat, they take on the traits of. And the Crute hounds and the the great Narlac are kind of examples of they went too far down a certain genetic evolutionary trail and got stuck. Oh. So <laughs> they that's are side, led. That's also, why anytime, that's also why anytime the Tau engage with orcs, they actually have to kill their own Kroot people after winning because Kroot who have eaten orcs will uh, become problems. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. So imagine that thing. They're with a led soccer hooligan accent. Uh huh. <laughs> So they're led by the shapers, which basically their whole job is eat this, don't eat that, that'll give you the runs. And so when they signed the agreement with the Tau, the Tau are like, all right, listen, you're not allowed to eat Tau. And they were kind of confused because, well, eating your dead was the highest honor. You were taking on their strength. But they said, no, you can eat everybody else, but you can't eat us. So officially, the races that the, according to the great, Shapers have decided they can't eat Tau, they can't eat Orcs, they can't eat Chaos because obvious reasons, and they can't eat Necrons. Because Necrons are made of metal. So. Right. <laughs> Everything else is fair game. And when they eat it, it causes them to change and take on traits of whatever race they ate. So let's say they ate Tyranids, they might develop a hardened exoskeleton. But Which they're kind of because... cool because... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, which is funny, because if you remember, Tyranids are basically the ultimate bio weapon. So the fact mm. that the fact that the Kroot can consume Tyranids without, I don't know, morphing into Tyranids is surprising. I'm, I'm learning this new. I didn't know the details of this until Oryx said it just now. So but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so they're kind of cool because they have these really kind of primitive rifles. I mean, I think the Tau offered them pulse rifles and like no no this works fine they are what the tau have as form of you know their close combat infantry they get they're very fast they're very nimble they hit really hard they have those big sharp beaks again unfortunately you're never going to see them on the tabletop because their models are old and their rules are pretty bad but next up you're going to see in the in the document we sent you the stuff you will see on the tabletop the battle Battle suits. suits love them God bless Battlesuit. Sorry, I looked ahead. It's all right. But as you oh, can see, amazing. So yeah, these technology are... is very... The first word that always comes to my mind is clean. Like, they're everything so, is very... They're so clean and symmetric and wonderful, and my my engineering brain is loving this. 
Sorry. One thing you'll also notice that uh, you know maybe is obvious on a subconscious level, but when you compare it to Imperial Tech, Imperial Tech's cords and connectors and things like that are all always visible. Whereas, Which I love too, but man, look at this. But Tau keep all their connectors internal, so everything looks nice and smooth. So the Imperium are androids, and the Tau are iPhones. Is what it really is. <laughs> they put they uh, put a they bit. put a they put a pretty plastic coating on the outside. You'll see one of those pictures is I I believe it's called a Riptide, which is the one that has the two missile launching systems, one on each side. That's like their one of their biggest mech suits. It's fucking badass. That thing is on the tabletop. That model is like a foot tall. It's gorgeous. It's a big. I love boy. it. So yeah, as you're seeing, all of these different suits are basically developed for the purpose of fighting different fighting purposes. the Imperium. Largely the Imperium. Yeah. They've, yeah. But they've got stealth suits, they've got command suits, and it's all about just filling the role, which is, again, this is kind of where both the army and the lore have steered, is the tower. We may not be that strong up close, so we're just going to carry progressively bigger guns. And we're going yeah. to lean into our strength. Yeah, which and is it is considered a high honor to be able to pilot one of these. Well, even the little are tanks and ships and things like that. Even the little yeah. drone models are really cool. Like I said, drones are very important to how their army functions. Uh, on the tabletop, drones are what protect them. So, like, bullets are coming towards my suited guys. The drones literally get in front and take the bullets for them. Yep. No, the drones, both in the tabletop and in the lore, they act as spotters. They're, you know, backup gunners. They're shields. They actually have shield drones, which just hover around, creating force fields. So we've been talking for, at least according to the my timer, about an hour at this point. I don't know what it comes out after editing. If, or I don't know. But point is, it's at this point now, I'd like to say, because, you know, me and Orc basically just been talking at you a lot. yeah, yeah. What are your, your general thoughts, any questions, things you want to point out specifically, and anything like that? Well, it's it's genuinely wholeheartedly different than everything I've seen, and I I don't necessarily take that as a bad thing. You know, you and Ulrich both said at the beginning the, the fans took this on as, you know, a, a betrayal of the, you know, of, of the universe they had set up, but it's like this feels... It feels different, but it doesn't feel like it doesn't fit. Like, this is streamlined mm -hmm. and clean, but I look at this and it screams Warhammer to me at the same time. Which I, that first I feel like they fit a lot more now than when they the first, first picture came out. Didn't. This first photo you showed me, the one you have at the beginning here, mm -hmm. looks like looks like something out of out of like a current or last or current gen sci-fi video game. And I don't mean that as a as a negative. I just mean it has that that look like I feel like this is the cover art for a game. I should be logging in online to like play with my buddies. Like, um, not, 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 um, like destiny or something. Yeah. Destiny. That's the exact one I was thinking about. And I don't mean that it's ripping on that. It just, it has that more streamlined, more clean, more, um, I don't know. Everything we've talked about in Warhammer up to this point has been fairly chaotic. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like mm -hmm. reading no, the novels, Reading the novels, thinking about the war, it had like a, um, it had like a, 
World War II to Vietnam era feel. Again, that's you, you know the people creating it, right? Grew up with those those war games, right? That's where mm-hmm. your brain is. But everything was like gritty, and you know I got to claw my way out with a knife in my hand through the dirt and the mud and get through these wires and you know, climb up in here and put this thing back together. Oh, look, and there's also demons coming from this warp. But still, when we get down to a planet, it's going to be, you know, like Starship Troopers, you know, or whatever, like grunts, like running around. And this feels more modern futuristic, as weird as that. It's like modern sci-fi, like almost like, and again, this is not meant as a negative, Star Wars prequel-ish kind of mm-hmm. look. No, I want to agree. And part of that was they had to kind of figure out the design for the Tau, because we talked about it, when they first launched, it was very much East Asian tropes. But you look at some of the stuff, and they've kind of refined, like, no, no, this feels kind of future tech, and the big guns make it feel 40K. Yeah. These are obscenely large weapons. And that is the hallmark. This feels like 40K by way of Hideo Kojima. That's that's how it Mm -hmm. feels. Huh. I like that. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I'll I'll think I like that, though, on principle. So. This feels like I could be looking at screenshots from a Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of what I and I don't mean just because of the mechs. Well, it, it's the character design and everything. There's a thing I, it's hard to describe, but I think it's important for your setting to always feel consistent. And I think that that was what the initial why the initial reaction was a negative because the Tau didn't feel consistent. But now I feel like. They add a variety by feeling like something very different while still being very believable within the same setting. And I think that was what they were going for to begin with. And I think it just took them a little bit to get there. Right. And I can see, you know, as someone who's never like, you know, been deep into playing, I can see them showing up on the tabletop as you guys described how they were and being a tad bit broken you know, in comparison to the rest of the people you're fighting, like they have a different attack methodology, different this. I can see people immediately just going different. No, like I can't fight them. Like I fight everybody else. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's for most as a side then, note right what? now in the tabletop, they are one of the worst armies, <laughs> but it's just, you know, I can see like, because, and that's what I think I'm, I'm so taken by this is that it, as as I said the first time we started talking, this, even though it seems to have a big um, learning curve, or it seems to, I don't think it has as much of one now that I'm talking to you guys about it as it seemed to, as a hobby or something to get interested in. Because, like, you know, all it took was Ulrich's little experiment of going, wouldn't this be a cool book to start someone on? And if you come with this background knowledge of, pretty standard sci-fi tropes you're going to be able to dive right in and it worked Mm -hmm. right but you know there seems to be something if if you're into sci-fi at all or fantasy with sci-fi backings there seems to be something for a large community of people in this hobby instead of instead of a very one-sided thing you know and what's funny about that you mentioned the books so there's a thing like we talked about how no one in the community wants like a good faction, but we like having good people and good characters, right? That's why and, we love Loken so much. Yeah, and Commander <laughs> Farsight in the 41st millennium is considered by many people, even non-Tau players, to be the closest thing to just a generally all-around good protagonist person. Because Farsight, now that he's separated from the Ethereals, gets, has figured out who he is 
on his own essentially and he's like still you know believes in the greater good but in his own way and so the far side enclaves are seen as because they're a sub faction there's less pushback to them being a quote unquote good group of uh, beings essentially and because of that from what i can tell i haven't read any of them but books that are focused on Farsight make for a very good, very different type of read than books that are focused on Imperium characters. So. Interesting. Yeah, they, they do feel – it does feel starkly different than the Imperium, and I like that because what you guys have talked to me mostly about so far have been, you know, Xenos across the board, like different versions of either, you know – you know other other realm beings or aliens or things like that and then this is like no this is something that almost and again because of the caste system is kind of doing that it's taking bits from each of it you know a little bit like yeah. there's 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 some more fanciful elements to it and then there's some more grounded you know get on the ground and just you know trudge your way through mercenary war war stuff and then there's beautiful streamlined pretty imagery and ships and it, it kind of has a whole big mix of stuff i, I will also say just because i would feel remiss not to bring this up so there's a a youtuber named luton who's kind of like mm -hmm. the lore master for 40k and i haven't watched his tau video in probably about a year at this point but i did watch it he has like a 45 minute video on the tau an overview of them and he has an opinion about them that i think is very important which is there's a lot of things that happen in the 40 in the the galaxy of 40k there's a lot of evil and there's you know a lot of good but you know a lot of evil <laughs> but there's there's something to be said that the tau particularly as they are now with their orwellian overtures their implications of mind control and subversion and the subtleness of it they can be seen at least normal tau society can be seen as possibly the most malicious or insidious faction because of that idea of you're not even aware that you're being well right <laughs> right and, and, and i like i like the idea of the imperium right where we're we as we learn more and more and more there's deep seated influence uh, you know and, and things that are negative in there but they're pretty upfront about it you know what I mean? Like, uh, maybe not to individuals, but, you know, as a whole, you look at it and go, I get what that's saying. I do like the idea of something that screeches along the edge of, well, this could be wholeheartedly maybe good. And then the minute you dig a little bit, you go, but there easily could be some implication of messed up mind control, which means they're not choosing to do anything wrong with it right now, but they easily could. So and that's there, terrifying. <laughs> there is a story somewhere. I don't know which one this comes from, but there is a scene in which an ethereal orders a fire warrior to kill himself, and he just rams a knife through his skull. Jesus. So yeah. that is the weird dis fun disparity between um, what the Tau look like on the surface versus what they are between and the kind of arguments like well by all accounts tau society is functioning and happy and you're not as miserable as you are with the imperium but there, the there is something to be said that, that is free will the average like life life quality of a human in the tau empire versus a human in the imperium 
is vastly different. We have like actual book and lore reasons to believe that, for instance, your average human in a hive city is basically living in complete abject poverty or straight up slavery. Like they may not call it that, but it's pretty much what they're doing. They're living in, you know, squalor and filth and blood and violence all the time. Whereas number one, see like a corpse starch. Yeah, corpse starch. Whereas, and this is a small thing, but it's also a big thing. Your average human in the Tao Empire has access to fruit. Mm-hmm. But is that difference in quality of life worth it if you don't have agency at all? Like that's well, the philosophical question presented. The degree by... of agency is also kind of vague, but I don't know. I think if I were dropped in the 40k universe, I'd defect to the Tao Empire first chance uh, i got honestly like even people who love warhammer the joke is we're a community that doesn't want to be in the universe we live in or we love because the warhammer universe is you know grimdark and horrible but yeah if you're gonna live in the warhammer galaxy the tau is probably where you're gonna have the best life it's the <laughs> only xenos race that's gonna take you in and maybe eat you versus will eat you and maybe versus will which is some massive heresy but uh yeah (laughs) don't care you know what fruit and here's and here's one more thing about about that i'll say in in the community there are two factions that generally get the most shit like as players ultramarine space marines and tau for very different reasons but when I well, first started one getting... key reason, the community has the same joke. <laughs> yeah, essentially. But the point is, when I first got in, there was, as Ulrich said, a massive stigma against Tau players. Even before oh, I started playing, I was, ex- I was experienced. Yeah, but I feel like it's it's lessened a lot. And I would say that... It's because they suck now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They are not very it's good a lot currently. Harder to make fun of... It's a lot harder to make fun of them when, you know, your army sucks. But also... I feel like there's a slow glacial move by the community. Like, hey, let's tell new jokes. Not the same joke we've had since 2000. But I also think there's an important thing that's starting to permeate in the community, too. Because I remember seeing when Bricky talked about the Tao, he had this thing he said in it that really struck me. That basically it amounted to something like, just because I... Just because another person might think the Tao are, you know, don't fit or... Are, they don't like them personally is no reason for you not to play them if that's what you like variety and diversity in the hobby is a good thing and if you're interested in the hobby and the and you like the idea of gundams and dinosaurs and you think the tower cool fucking play the tau and to hell with anyone who tries to belittle you for for doing it hell yeah anyway <laughs> should we move on to the cherry on on the sunday yes. All right, mm, so we got two Sunday. more units we're going to talk about. <laughs> God damn it. Um, we've got the Hammerhead tank, which is a big hover tank with an even big rail gun attached. I mean, basic tech tank. But we got to talk about the Manta gunship, a.k.a. the biggest model Games Workshop produces. And they don't even produce it. This is produced by their... Uh, side company Forge World, meaning it's a big block of resin. It's fucking cool looking. I want one of these and I don't play Tau. And it would be a nightmare to assemble, but the scale is ridiculous. I think this the biggest model what, that 
Anyway, go ahead. No, I was just going to say what what's so cool about this model is outside of everything we've seen, and I, and I know this is the draw of of Warhammer for a lot of people. It would be the draw for me. This screams the big GI Joe play set that all your that like one of your friends had because his family <laughs> was rich and you wanted it. Like that's what like you this just is see the USS this flag. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like this thing. I like I would be able to convince myself if I saw this in a hobby shop to yes, Chris, you want to blow the money on that, but Chris, you don't play Warhammer. That's fine. I'll just hang this thing up and it'll be awesome. And then, you know, a, a week later, it's I like have 25 a pounds. Yeah. I'm looking, really? I'm looking right now. Away, like 20. Yeah. That's it's heavy. so cool. <laughs> it's roughly based on what I'm looking at. It's roughly three feet across. I think oh, holy more. Shit. it's about the size of a coffee table. I love it. Well, we could just make it a coffee table. Some people have joked that some people have joked that you just play the game on this. Um, it ca- it has like a carrying capacity of I think forty fire warriors, four um, of the tanks, and several I think like six uh, crisis suits. Jesus Christ! There is for the and, record, there is an Imperial Forge World Titan model that rivals it in size, but it's it is bigger very, than the Titan. It's differently shaped, so. But the thing is, is this is to scale to the rest of the models, which is another fun achievement. Because it's all it's tra- carrying capacity, it is in scale with the other models that you know you have. I.e., the four hammerhead tanks would fit inside this space for this. All your fire warriors would fit inside this. Ooh, oh I was really close, by the way. I looked it up officially. The wingspan is 34 inches, and its length is 25 inches so 25 by 34 does it have a weight on there basically 28 pounds jesus yeah before before you put any tanks inside it thing weighs as much as a three-year-old yep four-year-old shit costs about as much too well yeah that's that's a different story (laughs) this thing is not cheap and i'm honestly every time i think that forge world's like okay we're not making this anymore and it disappears it comes back and i'm like who is buying this Apparently like lots Titan, of people. Like the Titans I get. The Titans are big things for Imperium players. But this is a big thing for Tau players. And I don't know if there's that many out there. And it's all resin, which is famously horrible to work with. But still, I want one. Because it's just this big centerpiece of grandioseness. Uh, oh yeah, we should talk about its lore thing. This is just that they fly these in and they disperse the armies. Because we talked about Tau is all about overwhelming superiority. So they just, you know, show up with these big dropships like, all right, here's an entire division. Have at it. Wow. I would love, and by I mean, the way, just to play like a game of Kill Team on the thing as the board. <laughs> you could. I think the only thing bigger than this in lore is the Orca, but it doesn't have a model yet. Yeah, I saw there's there's a model called the Imperial Fortress that is bigger, but it's not it's not a unit. It's a fortress. So it's. They don't make the Imperial Fortress. Anymore. Oh, they don't? I, well, I just looked up. I just found a Spiky Bits article on the three biggest models Forge World has put out. I, th- so. I think Imperial Fortress is discontinued, unfortunately, because uh, I wanted okay. that so bad because it was such a cool little piece of terrain. Well, anyway. <laughs> All right, Chris. We're at the end of the towel. I, I love it. We already kind of did. Have we have works for you at all? What'd you say? 
Have we shifted the needle for you on orcs? Because last time we talked, you were still leaning oh, hard I on love, the orcs. No, I, I, I love the orcs. I, I really I really see the, <laughs> the draw. But I really like the design of this. I, I love, it's a very refreshingly clean and streamlined look, which I like. It's not so clean and streamlined that it looks like Uncanny Valley. Like this, this feels like on a game board against the Imperium, this would still feel like you're playing Warhammer. Um, well, I love that when we first started talking to you, one of the first things you had said to us, I think we were showing you Space Marines and we were talking about what Space Marines are. And you were taken aback by like, it was just very different than what you expected. And to me, Tau are the ultimate example of that this is a consistent but diverse setting. Yeah. And this... So this, if someone told me they were creating a war game like Warhammer today, this is what my brain would envision. And I don't mean that in that this doesn't, this isn't unique. It's just, this has more of like the, with everything I know and up till now, if you said, Hey, you know, games workshop is creating, you know, a Warhammer 60 K or like a Warhammer, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's going to be, you know, whatever it is, this is what I would picture would come out of it because it. It, it you know it's like you got battlefield 1942 you got battlefield and then you got battlefield 2143 or whatever and it's like okay this feels like a, the right stylistic jump and this feels like just in universe there was a jump in okay we have a race uh, or a group that has a different upbringing and beginning and different influence than everything else we've shown you before and i think that's really cool mm -hmm. one of the things i like about up the Tau, and I still maintain this, is they feel like viable threat in a way none of the other races do. Like the Tyranids and Chaos have this very existential threat of they're just going to keep coming. They are so powerful, they are so dangerous. Orcs, they feel like a threat, but they don't because they kind of ride that comedy line. Tau really feel like the if you keep ignoring them, eventually they're going to just wipe you off the planet off the face of the universe because they've developed a universe destroying bomb because you just they keep advancing or they're gonna have that but they're so advanced that they have no reason to use it against you you're literally like that xenos that of theirs that you saw on a planet and went eh don't worry about it it's using stone age tools and that's literally how they look at you now so it's like i could wipe you out if i needed to but you're not a threat to me so bye-bye there's also the fact that and the, the Tau's game plan is much better in general. Like, yes. the, the Imperium is fighting on all these fronts to just maintain itself because it's it's so it's so big that all they can do is just try to keep hold of everything they have, essentially. They try to expand. As I mentioned, they had expeditionary forces, but they're far less important than the constant wars they're fighting everywhere. But it, if you looked at it on a map, it's shapeless it's you know all sorts of pockets and whatnot whereas the tau call them spheres for a reason they're very patient they're like we keep our power consolidated we don't overstretch in any one direction we only expand when we can in very controlled manners yeah patience yeah no they're really cool and the fact that they don't have as the chaos is not the same looming threat to them as it is to so many other races which is again i really like tau they feel feel like this they're a different which always makes them fun to read about when you know they're the antagonist is like oh cool tau they fight way totally differently than you know anybody else plus their weapons can actually pierce power armor which is kind of scary oh it shit. is great i read a uh 
before we got on this recording, I read a conversation between an inquisitor and an, ether- an ethereal, a captured ethereal, and just since the because the the ethereals speak very formally, and this inquisitor is like, yeah, yeah, I know, but let's move on to this thing. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. But anyway, yeah, the these ethereals fascinate me. I I I, I think this is a. Uh... Especially because it's so new in the lore that they're they're you know I feel like it, it's cool to feel like I we're we're on the cusp maybe in the lore or someday of like learning you know the big like hammer drop like that we got during the heresy you know with all of them where it's like oh this is what's going down you know what I mean where it's like I I feel cool hearing about something that we don't know the end game of yet and I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. No, well, to be fair, Games Workshop is very good at making that relatively constant. <laughs> like right now, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on in the the lore that's like, maybe this will happen. Maybe this will happen. So, I just I find that great. I mean, like I said, I, I was completely hooked by the way that story was was divulged. So I, if they want to keep playing that, it's like a John Williams score, right? It doesn't matter how many times you go. Hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah, this is a scene where two guys are talking at a coffee shop. Why don't you think about your dead family members? You know what I mean? Like that's what John Williams <laughs> like. They're like, oh, okay, John, I guess I'm crying now. But you, you do this every time, and that, that's the same thing. If Games Workshop wants to keep playing that that same uh, fiddle with me, I'll I'll keep getting taken by it because I think it's great. Yeah. Well, that anyway. That's about an hour and twenty of Tau which is, uh, I think, uh, pretty good. And like I said, that means we have now... Uh, well, we do have to redo the Necron one for, for the listeners because it's a good conversation and there's a it great really joke was. we will not let die. So, But that being said, as a quick... Uh, well, you know what? I'll save my question for that. I have an important question, but I'll wait till we redo the, the Necron one. Sounds great. Um, well, then, guys, as always, this was amazing. Um, I, I love chatting with you guys. I think people really love hearing this. And with that, if they don't already know, why don't you tell people where they can find your uh, oot poot, as it were? Ah, well, I don't have the list in front of me, but I know that we're available. The Geeks with Shields and our affiliate podcasts, Geeks of Grimdark, Geeks Who Haunt, things like that, are available on a lot of the the major sites uh, you know, Pocket Cast, uh, iHeartRadio, a few other ones. I have a list normally I say, but I don't remember it. Do you, do you have it in front of you, Ulrich? No, but it is. Let's see if I can rattle it off. I've done this enough times. It is SoundCloud, Spotify. Spotify, that's my favorite. Sound, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spotify iHeartRadio. Heart I don't know. There's Stitcher. No yeah, Stitcher. Stitcher. Aren't you on Podbean? Maybe, maybe not. No, we aren't on Podbean. I don't know. I, I don't even know where I am. I, I need to get into some of the ones you're in. So Just anyway, we also firesidealliance.com. Click on our widget. It'll take you to the places. There yeah, you go. Fireside Alliance. We we also have our own Patreon, uh, you know, dollar a month. We do a bunch of stuff unique to them. Like we have our book club where we talked about, you know, the yeah, horse thing we heresy. We frequently alluded to throughout is our horse heresy book club, which there are three books up on there an interview with one of the authors soon to be an interview with that same author again there's a ton of bonus content over there it's great you, your your book cubs book cub book club stuff 
and the um, whatever you're calling them now, because you have the bucklers and then you have the echologs, echologs, all that stuff is, you know, I, you know, it's kind of why I started doing like the the chip in the third person thing, just having some like data drops of just like, this is a cool thing. And it, 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 you know, maybe doesn't, if we did it in a whole episode, it'd be 16 hours long as we're breaking it up. I, I love following that kind of stuff along, especially the way you guys do it. I think, I think it works really nice. Well, thanks. I was really, I, I figured that you probably haven't had time to keep up with the book club since the end of galaxy. No, of Flames, I, I, I haven't, I haven't, but I want to, but I just, I really like it. And, um, yeah, no worries, man. I was, but I did enjoy talking with you about those kind of things, especially because as I said, being your kind of spiritual guides, I, I yes, like getting, your, uh, I like getting your inputs on, on Warhammer stuff. Among the many other conversations I enjoy having with you. <laughs> yes. And be, because um, it's a really good cross promotion, even though it's your thing. Um, if you've enjoyed me talking to these guys on my show, which I hope you have, please get over and listen to the director smackdowns we've been doing. Um, especially the MCU one, which I uh, God, how far are we along as of this recording now? As of this recording, <laughs> as of this recording, we have finished phase three. We are about to embark on the Avengers. And then we get to circle all back for the grand finale to pick the quintessential Marvel movie. Oh, boy, that's going to be fun in like four hours. Yes. And and so if if listeners have never heard that, like if you're just a fan of my show and you listen to these and maybe you've never heard us speak of these. Um, it was a really cool idea. I don't even really know how it came about, whether it was a Twitter conversation. It was a or... Twitter conversation about Spielberg. Yeah. And we've, we've honed it in. I, I, I feel like it's just become its own wonderful thing. And I love, I love being able to look at, you know, we'd talk about the MCU, you know, anything else to, It's what we do for, for fun. Right. You know, just, we're geeks. We talk about things we like, but I feel like this made us approach them from an angle all of this stuff from an angle that we wouldn't normally have, you know, it's either all praise or all the stuff that annoys us. And instead we find a weird common ground on them. That's, that's super interesting. And I, and I can't wait for people it is to hear a it. Fun final evolution of sorts for that format from where it started to where it is now and to how we're having to take it on. It, it's, I'm proud. I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of that has come out of this podcast podcast is just the whole smackdown format yeah so search search geeks for shield smackdown i'm on all of them right yes yeah uh pretty sure and uh you know obviously listen to all their stuff because they're great yeah and if you ever want us on chris for uh non-warhammer stuff i only bring this up now since we're approaching the end of the factions kind of thing just let us know <laughs> oh yeah no we, we got to do more stuff like that we've got plenty to talk about and we should do an episode as a fireside chat so we can uh talk more about that whole thingamabobber too yeah that'd be great sounds good all right well i'm gonna go pass out um <laughs> thank you all for listening thank you both for shooting the shit with chip as always thank you for um continuing the geeks with warhammer discussions as it were and uh i will talk to everybody soon bye guys i saw this meme the other day it was like tech enthusiast i have a smart house tech worker the only piece of technology in my house is my printer, and I keep a gun next to it in case it makes a sound I don't recognize. That's, that's me. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. So, like, engineers use software, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I I like to differentiate myself from the engineers who are, uh, you know, I guess I really, really, really love movies and feel like I've graduated from being like a cinephile. You know what I mean? Into like a, a normal human being who enjoys movies, but also <laughs> has those tendencies. These guys are like engineerophiles. They're like, look at the trackball mouse and foot pedals that I use to make my solid works, my personal bitch. And I sit there and go, I use a mouse and a keyboard and maybe I have a couple hotkeys because I want it to work the same on every computer I ever use it on. And I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yep. I want if it crashes and I have to reinstall it, I don't want to have to relearn how to use the software package I've been using for years. So I just wanted to do what I want. Isn't that right wonderful now. when you're used to when you're used to a piece of software for like a decade and suddenly it's completely upended on you? Like, oh, I just can't. Yeah. I can't. Uh, as as much as I enjoy technology, I don't fit in with the rest of the engineers that are like, and on my free time this weekend, I read a book on physics theory and made my raspberry pie learn oh. how to make me a pizza. Oh, yeah, no, like, no, I'm, I'm right um, there with had, you, man. I, 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 I played with, I played with my kids and drank. Huh. Yeah, no, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer, particularly a software engineer now. And I don't, I don't like to do work like things on my time off. I, when I'm at work, if my computer doesn't work, Fine. It's my job. I'm, I'm excited to try to figure out how to fix it. When I'm yep. at home and my computer doesn't work, I get furious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's why it's, it, it's, it's a certain mindset and I'm glad, I'm glad that certain people have that, you know, engineering is my life. It's all I do mindset. Cause it's what they're enthusiastic about. It, it's my job and I am not enthusiastic about it when I am not there. Yeah, I'm I'm enthusiastic at work about it. Yes, <laughs> things I am enthusiastic about are things like this. <laughs> oh boy! All this well, trust me, in. trust me when I say that you're not going to want to do any relevant accents in this episode. Uh, they'll well, go into some dangerous commies. territory. Come on, Come on I, could, <laughs> I could talk like this, comrade. Eh? You, you want to have some old guy and talk about the Tao? Eh? 